Welcome to the Agency Profit Podcast, a show dedicated to going deep space on agency operations, which is just as nerdy as it sounds. I'm your host, Marcel Petipoff. I'm the CEO of Parakeeto, a firm that helps digital and creative agencies measure and improve their profitability. Join me as I interview some of the smartest thought leaders and agency owners in our space and go deep into operations and metrics and all the other things you need to get right so you can spend less time worrying about operations and more time executing on your vision. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Agency Profit Podcast. I'm excited today to be joined by a fellow Canadian and, dare I say, a veteran of the agency space, uh, former professional and award-winning musician turned agency owner, turned agency specialist, and we're here today to talk about the journey through starting a digital agency and eventually going through the the process of niching down into a very specialized niche. Uh, So with that, Paul Bellows from Yellow Pencil, thanks so much for joining us today. It's great to be here. It's good that we're keeping it in Canada. Everyone's going to be nice and friendly and apologetic. I love it. That's right. Yeah. And I'm sorry uh, in advance. Let's just get that out of the way to everyone listening. I'm Uh, sorry, too. I'm sorry, too. So, Paul, um, I mean, we run in a, a lot of similar circles. Uh, one of our team members is alumni from Yellow Pencil. We are both in the Bureau of Digital. Shout out to Carl and the whole team over at the Bureau. Um, you know, you've, you're in Edmonton, a couple of our team members in Edmonton. So through all of those connections, we got put in touch. And I really wanted to unpack your story because you've been around uh, for some time and you've gone through a really interesting journey to find your niche. So I'm excited to dig into that. But before I do... Let's just give everybody a little bit of context on what you do and who you serve today. Absolutely. So, so today, Yellow Pencil is uh, roughly 55 uh, excellent humans. We design, build, and support technology for government, public sector, uh, a little bit higher ed. Um, I always joke that here in Canada, we think of public se- the higher ed as public sector because, you know, ed- <laughs> public education is, is still a pretty sacred value here in Canada. Um, but uh, really, we, we design and build systems that governments use for communication and service delivery. So we're a little different from sort of a traditional marketing agency or a really like a website design agency. We, websites are a big part of what we do. We sort of look at that as sort of the, the hub of a, of a government organization's digital ecosystem. But we're looking at how things go with like through text message and email and, you know, AI driven chat and and service automation and moving things from offline into the online, the digitization process and the service redesign. So it's a bit of a, a, a wide range of services we provide, but we try to partner with these government organizations that are trying to become digitally mature to be able to meet citizens where citizens are at, which is usually on a mobile device or a, a compute device of some sort, um, and to be able to provide a, a meaningful, usable, accessible service interaction um, through this channel of choice. And that requires a lot of planning, a lot of design work, a lot of ho- you know, cloud engineering and hosting and support services. Um, and so all of that comes together to become uh, this strange beast that is Yellow Pencil today. So, and just for everyone's context, the company was founded roughly 1996. So we're talking yeah. about you know, uh, a decade, two decades, basically, of kind of, yeah. you know, adopting, uh, being on the bleeding edge of a lot of the web technology that was happening. Um, so at what point throughout that journey, it sounds like in kind of the late teens, you started going, okay, we've been through some turmoil here with uh, things getting changed out, retooling the mm-hmm. business. When did the insight come when you started saying, hey, 
we want to work almost exclusively with these public organizations and really double down on, you know, our, our unique point of view as it relates to accessibility and some of those other things that you, I suppose, started to realize were unique about how you approach things. Well, I'd say between sort of like 2013 and 2017, one thing you learn about me is I'm not a fast learner. I learn eventually, just not quickly. So sometimes it takes multiple years for a lesson to really sink in for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we started seeing, I, I think this will be for a lot of agency owners, you know, part of the growth and part of what's necessary for growth is you spend a lot of your life in business saying, okay, I know how to do certain things. I have certain specialties. So there was a period of time where knowing how to work in Flash was a skill where there was enough demand for people who knew how to work in Macromedia than Adobe Flash, um, that if you just knew it, you could probably get some amount of business. And if you're quite good at it, you could charge a premium because there was so much demand for that technology and people could design and build in that technology. You didn't need a, like a marketing plan or a market access plan or a big sales strategy. You needed someone who could answer the phone and, and make estimates, right? <laughs> And I think it's really good, you know, it feels, you feel really smart when you're an agency, when you have something that's hot and that everyone wants, and you feel really less smart as an agency owner when that curve dissipates and that technology or that special skill set, you know, there, there was a period of time where knowing responsive design was kind of all we had to put on a calling card was, hey, we're really good at responsive design. And about a decade ago, that, that drove a ton of our business, you know, and that was our calling card. Today, if we said, hey, the one thing that we're really good at is responsive design. So it's like, it doesn't say, well, that's like, everything is what, you mean there's a non-mobile web? Like, why would you, why would you differentiate from that? Like everything, it's just, it's just how the web works now, you know, is that yeah. there is mobile and, you know, multi-device and multi-screen size. So as an agency owner, I think we go through these cycles where we're onto something hot, we're onto something that everyone wants, we're doing Ruby on Rails, you know, 12 years ago, we're, we're, you know, we're into Django and, you know, Python. Today, it's still pretty, pretty hot in that space and other things are coming. We're doing Webflow right now that web, you know, in 2023, Webflow is hot where we're all interested in that. Um, and that's good, but those, you know, over time, those things come and go, those trends, those, those things that are hot, you know, eventually they either become fully commodified, you know, so once it's out there, everyone can learn it. And eventually, you know, the market corrects and it's no longer a hot commodity. You can, trade, you know, you can't trade on it anymore. And so eventually you go, you know, you go through this sort of hype cycle of different things and the, the adrenaline fatigue, you know, kind of comes and goes, the adrenal fatigue. And you start to realize, I need to not just know how to do things and wait till that becomes a hot commodity. I need to know how to solve the business problems of my customer where they live every day, right? Like I need to be on the customer side. I need to sell what the customer's pain point is. So I need to not, let's say Shopify is a great, company that's been doing another Canadian company. We love Shopify. They've been thriving, especially through, you know, this huge move in the, in the early 2020s that we've seen to e-commerce. The, the whole world through pandemic lens moved to e-commerce. So Shopify was hot. That won't be true forever, but it's been true lately. But ultimately what's important is not, I know how to work Shopify. You do need to be expert in your, the tooling and the toolkit you use. But what's really important is I know e-commerce. You know, we know, you know, transaction management, we know, you know, migration from brick and mortar to e-commerce, we know the business problems you'll face, we know search marketing, we know how to do the work, regardless of the toolkit. And, and it's getting fully into your customer's pain world 
where I think you can get the long-term business viability. And that's something you can scale when you get it right. And then you can pivot technologies. When something's not hot anymore, you simply say, well, we can see that coming because you know it's coming. But our relationships are not based on the techniques we know. They're based on the business outcomes we can deliver. And I think that's really net. If you're going to really scale for a long period of time, rather than being a flash in the pan or the flavor of the month or whatever metaphor you want to use, I think you really need to move from your world into the customer world in that meaningful way and, and speak in their language and solve their problems, abstracted from the technology that you use while you constantly manage and build a skill set of the technology. So I, I think that's just a part of the, the growth and the maturity of any digital practitioner. Eventually, the tooling has to get deleted from your, your story. It's there, but it's in the background. And it's the customer business problem that you're trying to solve. And that, that's the lesson that we learned in sort of mid-teens. And we decided the thing that we knew was government, public sector, how they work, how they buy, how they manage projects, the kinds of technologies that they'll use, the kinds of problems that they face. And so we just really decided to specialize in that and to learn that rather than simply say, hey, we know Drupal, right? That's, that's a really hard position to defend long-term. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's such a great insight and, and one that uh, is very aligned to my thesis on niching as well, which is, you know, to your point, the natural progression is we tend to start to think about choosing a, a focus as an agency as a very tactical thing. It has to do with what services we offer and our methodology for doing those services or what platforms we specialize in. And to your point, underneath that is a more strategic thinking around solving a specific problem for a specific person and all of those other things become secondary to that or they become a facet underneath it and they all fit into that context and i can imagine that operationally it was uh difficult to have to reinvent yourself and retrain your staff replace the team um you know over the course of a couple of decades like having to go through that a couple of times i, I would imagine that it was really painful i'm, I'm curious um you know, what was the, was there anything that you recall really instigating that realization of, you know what, the, there's this shifting of thinking in terms of how we focus. And when your mindset changed from, we specialize in specific skills or specific platforms to now saying, we, we actually want to specialize in this business problem. What, what sparked that for you? Well, I think it, it's, it's what sparks change for anyone in business or any human in their life, which is fear uh, and, you know, scarcity or running. We, we were, we were running out of work. Like we were, the, the two forces that we were feeling were, um, you know, we had gone from this position where biz dev came through our commercial, you know, commercial off the shelf software partners, the, these, these commercial CMS part, content management system partners, they were bringing work in. That was, that was our sales channel. And when they put that product out to pasture and said, hey, it's no longer relevant anymore, we're not selling it, we realized we don't have a biz dev strategy. Mm. And so we moved to open source. But as we moved to open source, we were like, again, we had absolutely no moat around our business. There was nothing that differentiated us. We didn't have this 10-year history of working in these open source platforms. We didn't have this big portfolio of work. We didn't have a really compelling story. So now we're competing against two and three, you know, we're... Now we're like 40 people, um, you know, with all the things that come with that, the overhead and the salary and the compensation, the cost. You, you have to build certain things for people to stick around in, in a 40-person business. You know, people mm -hmm. expect something of the business in terms of a career and, a, and benefits. And if you're competing with three people at a university who are running the first business who are like 75 bucks an hour is a lot of money to me. And you're saying, that doesn't even cover my payroll. Like that's my 
like like the total cost of people once they add in HR and overhead and office space and software and insurance and legal fees and accounting fees. Once you add all that in, that doesn't even cover my cost of payroll, right? I'd be losing money at that. That's a really scary position to be as a business owner. So you need to have some differentiation. You need to have a story you can tell to the customer. It explains if you if you cost more, you have to be able to justify that to the customer and to the market. And if you can't, you're not going to win a lot of work or you're going to win work that isn't profitable. And that, that's the situation we found ourselves in of hmm. we were selling a commodity into a highly commodified market. And that that's and we didn't have cost on our side. We didn't have time and market on our side. So we really needed to have a, a story we could tell. So we had we sat down and looked and said, what is it we know well? What have we done a lot of? What do we have strong in our portfolio? How can we build a story about what we can do? Like what can we genuinely support with evidence? Um, you know, to a market, and, and we looked at it and said, well, the thing we've done most is institutionalized, regulated customers that either are government or a lot like government. And we actually know a lot about it. They all have similar problems and we have good solutions to those problems. So that's really what drove us was just fear of running out of money. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I think about this, um, especially as it relates to agency profitability, but also in terms of niching down, it, it sounds like it's it's one of those you are what you eat kind of situations. And it's like a diet, right? Where you start yeah. changing what you eat today, but you don't necessarily feel or see those benefits of the new diet until yeah. weeks or months in advance. And at your scale, I can imagine that it took a long time for the evidence of your your previous positioning and your your previous way of getting new business and the previous things that you used to sell to clients slowly making its way through the business and completing those projects and transitioning those clients out and then replacing those with the new things. And that culturally at your scale must have been challenging to manage and to keep everybody aligned and focused on the mission when um, there were distractions kind of embedded in the business for a period of time. And so um, I can imagine that that, you know, it took a lot of patience and it took a lot of focus and you had to kind of do a lot of work to constantly bring yourself and, and the team back to this longer term vision that you had for the business? Well, it, it's multiplied. So yes. And it's multiplied by the complexity of, of client services and digital agencies where something that's unique, it's particularly unique to digital agencies, I think, is just the amount of staff churn. Mm -hmm. um, so one bad client can can cause a bunch of people to leave. One toxic client, right? One toxic project, one skilled set change you try and accomplish that doesn't quite work. And just the nature of client services itself, because it can feel like a bit of a hamster wheel someday where you're running, but it's always the same wheel. It's always the same thing. And some people thrive in that environment and some people just don't, right? Like I got into this and it was great because there was a lot of change for one year, two years, three years. And then it was the same change, right? The same problems come back. Hmm. And I, you know, maybe I want to try something different. So. I think the rate of churn, you know, in digital agencies generally, I've heard a number of it's as low as 18 months. So you try and think about like, it's, those numbers haven't been true for us. We've had much, much lower churn than that. You know, roughly around, historically, it's been around 10% a year of our people come and go. But sometimes that comes in waves. And when you lose a lot of people, boy, a, a group of people can forget how to do their work really, really fast. You know, you, you can lose a lot of that expertise. So you're, you're managing, and that that's outside of the fact that just it's the internet, so the technology changes probably on a two to three year cycle. Like what was important three years ago is probably quite different now. Like 
something like chat GPT or generative AI um, tools show up in a market or in the world. And that's just recently happened to us. I'm, you know, again, like February, 2023, the whole world just discovered chat GPT, right? And now everyone says, well, what's that relevant to me? How does that work in? And people want to talk about it and they want to be, you know, have a conversation of this. Is this relevant to us? How do you build that skill set and become an expertise in that when in six months, the shine may have come off it, right? Like, I mean, you know, probably not. I think this will be with this particular technology will be with us longer, but there's constant distractions coming in, you know, and, and the market changes. So you're dealing with this change in a highly dynamic workforce, in a highly dynamic market. It is hard to grow an agency. It is uniquely hard. And it's, it's just a tough business to be in. If you want to scale past, you know, 10 to 15 people, you know, where it's small, it's agile, you don't have a lot of overhead, you can have pretty high margins quite easily, you know, you can, people can come and go, you can learn quickly, because there's a lot of just, you know, knowledge that's shared, you know, um, verbally, or, you know, just just a communal knowledge that they could share, you get onboard people, you get bigger, it's hard to onboard people, people come and go, someone joins the team, doesn't feel fully connected, leaves early, you know, you start getting salary pressures. If venture capital starts to go up in the in the startup space, you know, for a period of time, the economy gets hot. Suddenly, tech workers and designers are worth more than you thought they were worth, and more than you can build to clients. And they start leaving for these high paying jobs. You know, th these trends come and go, and it, it makes it really hard to build stability uh, in an agency. That's just another force that's constantly a downward pressure on agency owners. Do you want some free resources to help you measure and improve your profitability? If you do, then I want to tell you about our agency profitability toolkit, which you can grab absolutely free in the show notes or by heading to parakeeto.com forward slash toolkit. It's packed with training videos, cheat sheets, templates, and all kinds of other great resources to help you start measuring and improving the essential metrics that are going to drive better profitability in your business. And it's helped thousands of other agencies around the world do the same. So I want to encourage you to go and grab a copy of that. And if you'd rather get in the fast lane and just have our team of experts guide you through the process of measuring and improving your profitability, then I want to encourage you to apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. And with that, I want to thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll let you get back to it. It's so interesting that you've been around long enough to see a couple cycles of this, right? Like this is novel mm -hmm. to a lot of people. The idea that, you know, there's a developer at Google making a half a million dollars uh, last year yeah. and now they're getting laid off and like, but you've, yeah. you've seen this movie before. Um, so with that, through all of that noise and all of that fog in this transition, when did you start to realize that, wait a second, this, this is actually working. This direction is, is working for us. And um, what were the impacts that you started to see in the business after you had gone down this path of saying, we're going to specialize in this area? Well, I'll tell you when I get there, but um, <laughs> the, the certain things are working. So um, one of the first places was, you know, as we started to tell this really focused story, we show up for a client shortlist presentation. If you were, you know, if someone was doing a procurement and they were going to hire a new long-term partner and we would just simply have a completely different story. We would speak to the client and we, and we would say things and they'd say, oh, that, that's actually our pain point. You know, everyone else talked about how they design and their process. You said things that actually spoke to what keeps us awake at night. You know, what we're worried about on our side of, of, of the, the, the procurement fence, you know. So we heard, we, we saw ourselves in what you said. You showed us portfolio that was relevant. We could call people that were like us and ask questions and they gave us positive answers. You know, your reference checks were people that we can relate to. You know, you go to someone in a local government agency and tell them, like, you know, my reference is at Nike. 
like, is he, oh, yeah, we had a $3 million mark, you know, campaign budget for this thing, and they totally nailed it, right? And the government is like, I have a $300,000 budget, and I have to do 10 times as much as what it looks like you did. So I, I don't, I can't hire these people, right? So, um, you know, like our, our, our references, our, our, our portfolio, um, who we are and how we show up, and, and just all the subtleties of knowing their language, knowing their, their acronyms, you know, all these things just start to provide evidence. We saw our win rate go up. Um, and then the next thing that we saw was our, our cost per project started to go up because people started showing up and we would have deep expertise. We'd be able to show what we had done before. We had evidence, solid evidence for you want to do X, here's three times you've done X. We're a reliable quantity. You can count on us. Um, and, and our ability to charge started going up again. You know, we, were, we had gotten really, again, I use the word commodity a lot, which is not a perfect word, but if you're doing something that's not differentiated, that anyone can do, that anyone can at least say they can do, um, and they can make up prices that are a tenth of what yours are, half of what yours are, um, that's a hard place to be in. You're in a constant price battle, and price battles are the worst battles to be in. When you can sort of say, here's our cost to do it, Let's, you know, all you need is to trim the budget by 10%. We have ways to make that work. Let's just talk about how to compromise on that. We'll drop some services. We can do a 5% discount on that to fit your budget and we can get the work done. You know, that's fundamentally different from, I, I say this is going to cost $200,000 and you have $80,000, right? Like that's a, that's a you know, then, then you're hiring, you know, we're competing with the wrong, uh, the wrong other firms. So Competing with the right kind of firms, being taken seriously by customers, showing up as an expert, you know, someone they can trust, who has evidence to support uh, what they're doing. To me, those those are the the, the hallmarks of the, of the transformation, what really, really happened. Um, plus, we just knew a lot about our customers. You know, we, we knew what they would probably need. We had more insight, more expertise. We could show up and say, we suspect that this is a problem. They say, you know what? You're right. And it was because we were in their world working with them. So we weren't guessing at their business. We knew their business and, and we could speak with some authority um, to what was happening for them. And so uh, with all of this, I want to make sure we land the ship. I know we're getting to time here. It, for somebody yeah. that's listening to this and they have maybe come to a similar realization that you came to at some point in your journey where they're realizing the way that we're positioned, the way that we specialize, or, or perhaps our total lack of specialization is something that we want to change. And we have an insight, yeah. we have a customer that we want to start to focus on, and they're just at the start of their journey. What advice would you have for them uh, as they start to go down that path? Well, I think the best advice comes from the world of real estate, which is location, 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 right? It's all about where you're positioned and where you sit. If you have a shoe shop down a back alley, you might find customers, but if you have a shoe shop that's on a main street corner, you're gonna probably find more customers. Now, one of those locations is gonna be more expensive. There's a cost to it. So you need to look at you know cost benefit. That's a little cryptic to say location, but like when I sort of think about it, I'm like, okay, so where does how does government make buying decisions? You know, so they release RFPs, but they also go to conferences, you know, and they do professional development. So, and they speak to their peers and things. So if I have a business and I'm selling to government, how do I position myself? Where do I actually position myself? And this is a virtual location, not a physical location. So, you know, maybe it's real estate. I remember there's one Canadian software company who bought a head office across from the Canadian parliament buildings, essentially where you could see it from parliament and they put a big giant sign on the top of it specifically because they wanted anyone who walked out of the front door of Canada's parliament buildings 
to see their logo. And I'm like, okay, well, if you have, you have a different budget than me, but you know, um, they, they used actual location to do this, to, to be visibly present. But how do you become present and visible and kind of enter the, 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 the thought stream of your customer? So if you're going after lawyers, where do lawyers spend their time? What magazines do they read? What conferences do they go to? What professional development activities do they take on? Um, when, you know, if you're working in a, a geographic location, you're trying to own a city, you know, how can you own a city? If you're trying to own a market, how do you own that market? How do you become present in that market? And then what evidence do you provide? So what does your storefront look like? When someone shows up, is this a dingy looking shoe shop? Or if I bring my fancy shoes to you, I'm like, well, I think you might just do like sneaker polishing there or like, you know, like cheap shoe shines, or am I going to bring my premium footwear to you? You know, what, what is the experience that I have? So you have to think about all of those aspects of location. You're positioning your business at a place where your customer is going to find you and it's going to occur to them that they should bring some business to you. Um, so th those are all the aspects of it. So for us, you know, we, we you know, public sector, okay, well, they, they go to conferences, you know, they do professional development. We, we started paying to sponsor conferences. We started showing up. We started trying to get speaking spots. We thought carefully about speaking spots, not as advertisements, but showing up and talking about work we'd done that we thought would be interesting and relevant to the customer. What will get them excited? What will make them feel their hero's journey starting, you know, working with us? Oh, if I could do that, that's exciting work. I'd like to do that rather than simply you telling me how cool you are. Where am I in the story? So, you know, bring your customer into the story. It's about their hero's journey, not your own. So show up with relevant content, a good story, something that makes them excited about what's going to happen to them, not what is going to happen to you, you know, because they paid you, you know, we can do more cool work with technology framework X, not exciting for the customer unless they happen to have that, that problem. But if it's a, Hey, we helped a customer like you and they went from like zero to hero in, in six months and met all their goals and made citizens happy and got a promotion that's energizing to a, to a, a potential customer. I want to go on that journey. You know, it may not be about the promotion, but it's probably about the story of getting things done, you know, and solving actual problems in the real world with technology rather than the technology and design for technology and design's sake. So think about your location. Think about how you're going to get present there. Explore, learn, listen more than you talk. Hear what the pain points are. Learn what they actually are. Um, and at that point, you can start to cultivate your story and, you know, you'll slowly see your win rate go up and you turn a slow ship that way. It takes time and it takes a real investment. It won't happen overnight, but maybe over six months, a year, you might get there. With that, for those that want to learn more about you, Paul, share what you're doing, share what Yellow Pencil is doing. Where should we send them in the show notes uh, so they can consume more of, of you? You can go to yellowpencil.com. Um, from there, you can get to the 311 podcast, or you can look for the 311 podcast, where I talk to people in government that I think are doing interesting things. You'll see I'm promoting their hero's journey. That's the story I tell, not what we do, but what they do. I'm affiliated, I'm associating myself with their actions, with their, their outcomes. Um, that's part of how we brand ourselves and how we tell that story. Also, I find them interesting, and I like talking to people. It's, it's fun for me. Um, so yeah, check out the 311 podcast. We got about a dozen episodes up and more coming. Um, yellowpencil.com talks a little bit about what we do. Uh, or if you're on Twitter still, um, I'm at Paul Bellows, B-E-L-L-O-W-S. 
All right. So we'll leave links to the podcast, to Yellow Pencil's website, and to Paul's Twitter, uh, which if you're listening to this, hopefully Twitter is still around uh, in the Elon Musk That's universe. <laughs> with that, Paul, yeah. I really appreciate you being so generous with um, you know, your story and your learnings along the way and appreciate you making time to be on the show today. It was a real pleasure. Absolutely, Marcel. Great to, great to see you. And that is... Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you've ever found yourself thinking, man, I get so much value from this podcast. I wish there was something I could do to return the favor. Well, today's your lucky day because you can leave us a review wherever you're listening to this. And it is incredibly helpful. Of course, if you haven't grabbed a free copy of the Agency Profit Toolkit, go and get that. It's got tons of free resources to help you improve your profitability. If you're looking to get in the fast lane and get help from experts to improve your profitability and measure your most important metrics, then apply for a consultation at parakeeta.com. We'd love to chat with you and figure out how we can help. With all of that, thank you so much for being a listener and we will see you on the next episode.